So thank you for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. In this episode, we're joined by Steffi Gardner. Steffi will be reading from and talking to us about her books, Charlie to the Rescue and Charlie's Quest. Steffi, thank you for joining us. It's a real pleasure. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, I appreciate your time. So in, we'll just start with Charlie's Quest. In about one or two sentences, can you please tell us a bit about the book? Well, Charlie's Quest is the second one. Okay. And it's based in Breckenshire because when he leaves his current home, which is a farm, because bless him, although his brothers and sisters were going to be marvelous as sheepdogs, Charlie wasn't interested in sheep herding. It was smells that were his thing and his nose got him into a lot of trouble. So um, the family, Mr. and Mrs. Jenkins, who lived on a farm with their two children in Pembrokeshire, didn't want to keep Charlie, but wanted to find the right home. They didn't want him to go to anybody. And almost out of the blue, they had a phone call one day from a gentleman, a Mr. Harris, Bob Harris, who works with Search and Rescue. And I don't know if anybody knows about Search and Rescue, but they're like the lifeboat people. It's voluntary. Okay. And they don't have a great deal of money to spend on training up their dogs. Sometimes they get ex-police dogs that have perhaps failed for some reason. Maybe they're not strong enough, perhaps mentally. They haven't got that. I shouldn't say the word killer instinct, but it's an instinct that some have that others don't. Maybe, you know, the same with people. Some of us are more reticent than others. So I'll read a little bit from Charlie's Quest, which is the second one. And we talk about a quest and it says, it's a long search for something that's difficult to find or an attempt to achieve something difficult. He was going to be a search and rescue dog. That's what he was going to be. He decided that from the beginning and felt his heart swell with pride his spirit ancestor there beside him. And after all, how difficult could it be? What he didn't know, of course, is that many quests are not easy. In fact, some are almost impossible to achieve. And those taking part have to change and adjust along the way in one way or another. Also, that a successful quest can take a long time, to people at any rate. Will Charlie succeed? Or is it a dream that disappears in the light of day? I wonder, shall we look and see? So we're going to start at chapter one. Charlie lay in his basket, a mutinous expression on his face. It hadn't been his fault. His spirit ancestor, and some would say guide, was wrong. And Charlie sulked. It wasn't my fault, he said to himself, if only. Life was made up, he thought, of a series of if-onlys. If only he hadn't smelt that mysterious smell he couldn't identify, but which he had to, just had to find. If only Bob hadn't left him in the garden when he went to answer his phone. If only the delivery man hadn't forgotten to close the gate. If only someone had stopped to think. If only someone hadn't ignored Bob's call and Megan's bark. If only someone hadn't dashed through the gap between the delivery man's legs. There were other if-onlys, of course, like... If only a certain someone had stopped at the curb. Added to that, if only there'd not been two cars on the road when someone dashed into it. If only the car that hit that someone had swerved. Guess who wouldn't have ended up at the vets? I'm sure by now you'll have worked out the name of that four-legged someone. If none of this had happened, then that certain someone, Charlie, would not be stuck here in his new home with a badly bruised leg. 
Now, Border Collies are said to be bright, clever dogs, and of course they are, as are most dogs. But Charlie was still young and had a lot to learn, including accepting when he was wrong. Later that night, just before he went to sleep and had time to think, Charlie grudgingly admitted he had been wrong. It was his fault, and he remembered the cry and look of panic on Bob's face when he dashed into the road and scooped him up, how he'd felt Bob's heart race, how he'd called the dog's name, pain and panic in his voice. All of this within the first 48 hours of being in his new home, within minutes of exploring his new garden with Megan. I like that both this book and Charlie to the Rescue, that you explore themes of identity and acceptance and differences, accepting one another and ourselves and our differences within ourselves. They're themes that I think we all need to read, whether we're young readers or older. They're things that we just kind of forget. Can you tell what's the inspiration for the books for Charlie? Charlie, as a character, has been in my head for probably about six years. I've always written little bits for, say, the school magazine. And uh, when I joined a writing group, we all wrote there. But I think probably the last couple of years, because his first book came out in 220, it's almost as though he, he was with his paw patting me on the head and saying, come on, come on, it's about time you did something about this. I've got a story waiting to be told. So really, that's how it started. And because I work a lot with animals on an emotional level, and I have a lovely friend who works in search and rescue, an awful lot of the information is what I've gathered myself over years of dogs and what she's told me and what I've read. And all border collies are extremely bright, but apparently the best border collies are those that are a little bit, I don't know if I'm going to follow this line, is it right for me, thinks the border collie? And sometimes I've heard search and rescue volunteers say their best dog is one that thinks for itself. And they don't always toe the line. And I've always loved things that don't toe the line. Uh, maybe because perhaps I'm like that in part, I don't know. Um, but it's always those that are a bit of a challenge that I seem attracted to. Oh, I love that. Could we have another reading, please? From this book or from Charlie to the Rescue? Which would you like? Oh, um, did we hear from this book? And then the final one is Charlie to the Rescue. Okay, right. Let me try and find a nice, a little bit that shows you a little bit about him. So he's just come to his new home with his new guardian. And Bob left the gate open because the delivery man arrived. And Charlie then ran out onto the road because he could smell something and he knew it wasn't in the garden. So now Charlie's back home being fed. Bob rummaged in the bag again and took out a casserole dish. Charlie smelt chicken. He loved casseroles. His favourite was beef, but he liked chicken too. What have we got here? Well, this will do me at least until tomorrow. Charlie sat head on one side and gazed at Bob. His bright eyes followed him as the man who put a portion of the food on the plate opened the door of the microwave and set the timer to reheat. Charlie gazed at his dish. Empty. Maybe this was the first course. The microwave pinged. Charlie looked up in hope, but was bitterly disappointed when he realised that the casserole was not for him. He whined and Bob looked at the expression on the dog's face. Food shopping tomorrow, I promise. Well, maybe some of the casserole we'll see. In the room where Bob was sitting, to each side of the settee was an easy chair. 
On the far wall to the left of the fireplace was a large glass-fronted mahogany bookcase, full of books, no space anywhere. There were even a few books on the floor. Charlie yawned and looked round the room again. He imagined what it would feel like on a cold, rainy night, curled up on the settee. He sighed. Bob interpreted the dog's sighs. Charlie would have to learn his place was in his own bed or on the carpet, not the settee. However, the best laid plans. Man and dog settled down, Bob on the settee, Charlie on the carpet. From his pocket, Bob took out the phone and made several calls, one to the vet, the other to the microchip company. Apart from the long case clock ticking in the hall, all was quiet. Bob stroked the dog's head gently with one hand while answering his phone with another. Charlie was feeling sleepy. With a tum full of food and a warm carpet to lie on, he relaxed, head on paws and eyes closed. He began to dream. He was back on the farm saying goodbye to his mum and dad, Mr and Mrs Jenkins and the children, Richard and Alice, and Rosie, of course. He felt his spirit guide nearby. The outline was stronger now, and he wondered why. Bob was also feeling comfy and sleepy, both dozed. The ringing of the phone woke them up. Charlie opened one eye, then closed it again. And Bob looked round, then realised why he'd been sleeping. Charlie had got up on the settee and had snuggled down at his side. First lesson, Bob thought to himself. He stood up. Charlie? The dog, eyes open, lifted his head, looked at the man, but didn't move. Charlie? Bob called again, using a coaxing voice as he tapped his leg. Man and dog looked at each other. Neither wanted to give way. Bob went into the kitchen and brought Charlie's lead back with him. He clipped it on. Charlie, he said for the third time, giving a gentle tug on the lead. This time Charlie jumped down and was suitably rewarded. However, at the back of his mind was a thought. What was it like for you to revisit Charlie after the first book, to, like, to realize he had another story that he wanted you to tell? I searched for quite some time because I knew the title had to be right, and that might sound an odd thing, but he is going on a quest because Charlie is learning about himself all the time. He needs guidance. He needs to listen and to grow up. And some dogs take a lot longer than that. But if he's going to be a good search and rescue dog, he can't just go off following any smell. He's got a job to do, somebody to find. And his handler, whether it's a man or a woman, has to be able to trust that dog implicitly. So I was lying in bed one night about, oh, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning. And I thought, well, what can I call his second book? And it came to me, Charlie's Quest. And I thought, yeah, Quest's quite good because we all find ourselves at different times of our lives, don't we? We do different things. We have different experiences. And sometimes as we get older, we learn from the past. So we think, okay, well, I'm not going to do that again. Or maybe I'll talk about it differently. So, and I wanted to set it in the Brecon Beacons because that's one of my favorite places to visit. And the story somehow just came together because Charlie, although he's normally used to finding people in this story, he has something else to find, something that to someone is equally valuable. Story has a few twists and turns, as do all good stories. And Charlie's, again, led astray by his nose 
um, he thinks back to the past and sees something and thinks, oh, yeah, I can herd this. But he doesn't see something on the horizon. It's food related in a way. So he ends up falling into the Breckenshire and Monmouthshire Canal. And I've walked this. So I know what the riverbank's like. So we brought that into the story to give it a little bit more realism. And I think uh, everybody I, I showed it to, and I've been into school and read some of it to some of the children, and they seem to like it. So I thought, okay, well, we've got it reasonably pitched for them. And it's nice because parents can read it with their children too. And to me, that's important that the whole family are involved. I think you're right. I like that there has messages to it. Charlie's, um, he's, that kind of imperfect character who's much like us, who makes mistakes and maybe he learns from them or maybe he doesn't, but he's curious and curiosity doesn't always lead us where we hope it does. <laughs> but so I think there'll be lessons in it for, for all readers, especially those of us who make mistakes. And it's quite <laughs> nice to have a character who, you know, follows his nose, <laughs> just like we might. And sometimes that leads to trouble. I also quite like that you, if readers who are from that area might be able to see things and recognize things from their walks or living there. And then those of us who aren't from there will be able to imagine and explore creatively. So I think that's a really nice kind of touch to, to set it in a real place that maybe one day will, others of us will visit. So thank you for that. And you've given us something to look forward to if we do find ourselves exploring. Good. Did we have our final reading, please? Yes. Actually, I think I'm going to carry on reading for Charlie's Quest. Let me find you a really nice piece. So Bob starts some training with Charlie. Now, Bob has a sister who's marvellous, who's a hairdresser, and her talents do come into this to some degree. Charlie, head down, was sniffing, it seemed, at every blade of grass, every leaf, Oh, I don't want to miss anything, he thought. A few times, Bob had gently thrown a small rubber ball for Charlie and the dog had run after it before bringing it back. His bright eyes were alight with happiness and he waited for Bob to throw the ball again. The first difficulty rose when suddenly the smell hit him, the one he had encountered when he first arrived at his new home. He'd forgotten for it, about it for a while, but here it was again. It wasn't a true countryside smell. It wasn't, yet it was. And he stood looking round, ears alert, trying to sense where it was coming from. Bob's comment, Charlie, come, made him hesitate. He wanted to come back. He really did. But in the end, the call of the scent was too much to bear. So he tore off and he was deaf to Bob's call and Megan's bark. Half an hour went. And although Bob had repeatedly called Charlie, the dog hadn't returned. Time for Megan to do her stuff. She sat patiently, looking up, waiting for the command. Find him, girl. She'd been enjoying herself, and here was Charlie, spoiling everything by not listening and doing his own thing. It was high time he learnt, she thought. Fifteen minutes later, and no sign of either dog, and Bob was worried. Then he heard Megan bark somewhere up ahead. He turned the corner, and running towards him was Megan, but no Charlie. She barked again, then turned and went back up the track. She veered off the track through bushes, then stopped and barked again. As he was running to catch up with her, he saw Charlie. The dog was stuck, 
well and truly stuck in brambles, and beyond the brambles was fencing across the path with a small gap in it. Charlie had obviously thought he could scramble through, but he was wrong. How on earth was Bob going to get him out? He didn't want to frighten him and cause him to struggle and immesh himself even further in the brambles. He needed help and help fast. Chris was the nearest, but would she be home working? His phone ran. Chris. Bob explained the position and repeated the coordinates. As luck would have it, she'd just come in. Give me five minutes to change and make a drink, then I'm on my way. Twenty minutes. And he was still waiting. No sign of Chris. It was then he heard the sound and coming towards him was a battered old truck. He couldn't see the figure at the wheel, and it certainly, but it certainly wasn't Chris, nor was it her truck. The driver opened the door and jumped down. It was a man in old jeans with a Forestry Commission logo on his shirt, and Bob recognised Ewan, Chris's brother. No one knew the land and pass round here better than Ewan. Trust you were his first words as he looked at Charlie. I knew it had to be the dog when Chris rang to say you were in trouble. That dog's accident prone. I'd get rid of him if I were you. He's more trouble than he's worth. He wasn't, but Bob, unwilling to be drawn into an argument, defending Charlie, just shrugged off and said, well, he's certainly a one-off, I'll give you that. Big shearing scissors in hand, Ewan commented, I can't save all his coat, I'm afraid, and he'll look a bit like a shorn lamb, but at least we can get him out. You'll owe me big time, though. A few beers at the weekend should do it. Back at home, Charlie felt completely humiliated. He'd stood meekly while parts of his coat were being cut off, and Megan had turned her back on him in disgust. And as for Bob, all he said was, Oh, Charlie, but his voice was so sad and despondent that Charlie hung his head. Showered now and dried, he looked a scruff. Bob rang his sister, who, after laughing at Charlie's predicament, said she'd be over in the morning and would tidy the dog up. Jean had often helped trim Megan because her experience as a hairdresser stood her in good stead, and for competitions, Megan always looked magnificent. Oh, poor Charlie. <laughs> it goes on. <laughs> <laughs> Steffi, where can we buy the book? Well, they're all available on Amazon or, I'm told, can be ordered through booksellers. Wonderful. So if we go to the bookseller, it'll either be on the shelf or we can ask them to order it for us. That's right. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for being my guest again and for reading to us. It's such a treat to have you. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope I've been able to portray Charlie's character because He's lovely. He's wonderful. And I think most children who've had dogs will have a Charlie at home. Or they'll be a lot like Charlie. <laughs> Definitely.